Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. Why do the theologians rage? Even a cursory scrolling of social media may lead you to the conclusion that you have to be angry to do theology. Sadly, our day is characterized by theological fighting, complete with harsh words, exaggeration, biting sarcasm, and the spirit of tearing down our brothers and sisters in Christ. But it does not have to be this way. In fact, it should not be this way. In Fruitful Theology, Ronnie Kurtz swims upstream to counter this prevailing problem. Instead of theology leading to anger, division, and discord, this book shows that the life of the mind can actually lead to the fruit of the Spirit. Dr. Ronnie Kurtz is an assistant professor of theology at Cedarville University and also the author of No Shadow of Turning, Divine Immutability and the Economy of Redemption. But today, he's here to talk about his new book, Fruitful Theology, How the Life of the Mind Leads to the Life of the Soul. Welcome to the podcast. Well, 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 how the turntables. <laughs> we got the band back together. Here we are, man. I have been looking forward to this. Who would have thought? It's, here it's we good are. to hear you do an intro again, you know? Isn't that weird? Oh, man. Your, your voice is as beautiful as ever. Oh, I appreciate that. How you been up there in Ohio? Man, it's good. Yeah. Things are things are going really well up here. The Lord's been very kind to our family. Uh, family seems to be thriving. Students are really sharp. So just enjoying the theology life, but definitely missing you guys there in KC for sure. Well, I certainly miss you. I know that we miss you. What what are you? T- so you're teaching like theology one, theology two, or is it more specific even than that? What are you, what are you teaching? Uh, I'm teaching theology one and two primarily. So okay. like this upcoming semester, I'm just teaching a, a few sections of Theo two. Uh, some of, that's some more of our um, kind of juniors and seniors take theology two here, and so gotcha. get spending some time with them. I'm also supervising a few master's thesis projects, um, which is it's been a lot of fun to get to know those students. So yeah, it's been it's been a fun transition. Yeah, let's talk about fruitful theology. Let's do it. This is your, so No Shadow of Turning, did that already come out? I thought that wasn't even out yet. No, it comes out, uh, it'll officially release in November. So I wrote that one first. I got you. But this is your first published book, is Fruitful Theology. That's right. Yeah, this one will come out first. That's right. Yeah. And I don't have a copy, man. I wrote the foreword for this thing. <laughs> they did not send me a copy of this book. They will send okay. you a copy. I don't have a copy yet either. So you don't, they, oh, you don't have one. Then that's okay. I don't. Okay. No, I thought they were already going out. to. From what I've heard, they're yeah. supposed to hit the warehouses tomorrow. Okay, good deal. So you should be getting a copy soon. Okay. Well, I'm glad I had that PDF with all of your typos and everything <laughs> in it to, to refer back to. One of the things you start doing, let's talk about the book. Uh, one of the things that you start off doing is, is, in a way, demystifying theology and theologians. Um, so anyone listening, I can imagine right now they're thinking, gosh, this has got to be an academic book because Ronnie's an academic guy. Uh, he's, he, he's a theologian. This is a theological book. It's not really like that, is it? Yeah. Um, explain sort of your approach about theology, why this is for every Christian, I guess, in some sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. I, I do start off there. I really, it's hard to answer even the question, like, who is it to? Because I have a, I had two really strong folks in mind that I really wanted to write to. The first was those who... When they think of theology, they might think of it as like, a, you know, just an academic enterprise that's cold and stale and far off from anything that actually matters in their day to day life. And I want to try to them to show them that theology is 
uh, not only accessible, but it is beautiful. And uh, in fact, if you have thoughts on God, which you do, uh, you're a theologian. And so I wanted to basically say, uh, come into the water. It's good. It's warm. And so that was the first group of people. The second group of people was uh, those who are maybe like myself, and I'm sure other listeners to this episode are just a bit tired of what theological discourse looks like and sounds like right now, um, particularly theological discourse online. Yeah. Uh, it can just be so ugly. And I write about that and just so disheartening seeing brothers and sisters talk to one another the way that they do. And so the second group of people I had in mind when I was writing are basically those who, like me, feel a touch disenfranchised. Um, and I just wanted to say, not only can it not be like that, it shouldn't be like that, period. Uh, theology should not lead to outbursts of anger, for example, or divisions or factions. Uh, that in, in, in Galatians 5, where, where we get the fruit of the Spirit, uh, Paul not only lists the fruit of the Spirit, but he lists the works of the flesh. And not all of the works of the flesh seem to be categorical of, of theology, but a lot of them do. Yeah. Envy, yeah. strife, division, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. I mean, a lot of those seem to be good describers of what's taking place under the guise of theology today. And I'm, I'm basically just saying, hey, maybe let's move the theological discourse from being described by the works of the flesh to the fruit of the spirit in the same chapter, love, kindness, patience, self-control, gentleness. Uh, I, I'm hoping to maybe show how theology should lead that direction as opposed to the works of the flesh. So that ends up being kind of a diagnostic question. Does your theological life lead to selfish ambition and envy and division or self-control, patience, and kindness? Yeah. What, what I love about it is um, it's exactly that. It's, it's a diagnostic in a sense under the hood. You're, you're getting to more of the root of the issue because we all, I think, are aware of like, gosh, people are angry or more angry or their, you know, brothers and sisters are are shorter with each other than it seems like they used to be. And social media compounds that problem. And we sort of dilly dally on the surface a little bit or, you know, deal with the superficial of, um, you know, polarization and division and things like that. And what you're doing is actually going to really, I mean, not just the heart of the issue, but to the heart and <laughs> to say, mm -hmm. Um, whatever you're doing up here, uh, you know, theologically, if it's not being driven by a love for Jesus, if it's not being driven by the Holy Spirit, um, it, it, it cannot be a replacement. So, for instance, right. you, you mentioned, I, I wrote this down here, um, doing theology as a substitute for sanctification. What do you mean, you know, by that? Yeah, I think one of the one feature readers will see a lot in the book is. I frequently describe what theology can't do. And uh, my worry is that theology can become an end in itself and people take to theologizing to fix their problems. However, theology is, is a mere instrument, a really good one, a glorious one even. But the whole goal here in the Christian life is the triune God. That's what we're after. We want more of him. And if theology can help us get there, then great. But theology is not the end in itself. And when we make theology be the end, uh, as opposed to God, which is what theology should give us, it, it can actually lead us astray in all kinds of places. And that's just one. Uh, what you just read there is, is an example of how theology can lead you astray when you equate or when someone equates holiness with theological knowledge or 
you view someone who uh, has a lot of theological knowledge as sanctified because of their theological knowledge, uh, that's trying to ask of something from theology that theology is not equipped to give you. A theological knowledge can lead to sanctification, and in fact, it should, uh, but it cannot be made synonymous with um, sanctification. It is, uh, the way I think I say it at one point in the book, is that it is a necessary ingredient. We need to know the Lord. That's a necessary ingredient for sanctification, but it is not a sufficient one. Uh, it's it's necessary, but not sufficient to give you sanctification. Yeah. So let me get you to respond to this. Um, there is a particular personality type on social media, particularly Twitter, um, and I guess the, the other platforms as well, but I see it mostly on Twitter, that would just say um, it's people like you, Ronnie. <laughs> Who just uh, you 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 platform niceness <laughs> above truth in some way when what really matters is that we are theologically correct. I'm paraphrasing. They say yeah. you know they say this in a variety of ways. Um, if you have the truth, um, it it that's really what matters, and we should be more gracious. I guess they would say with <laughs> with people's sharp edges. And gosh, the prophets were harsh. The prophets spoke in rough ways. The reformers were harsh. They spoke in rough ways. Jesus himself made a whip out of cords and ran the money changers out of the temple. So aren't you just trying to, I don't know, you know, wimpify (laughs) the faith by, uh, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but I love it. No, what's your response to that idea? Basically that what really matters is that we are theologically correct. And this stuff about being nice, right. Is, um, is all secondary. Yeah. That's and almost a liability. They would say being nice is a liability. That's right. Yeah. I wish that, you know, this, this response was hyperbolic and I never had to actually deal with it, but (laughs) There are there are real people who will respond to this book in that way. Right. And so, yeah, it's a good question. There's a lot to untangle there. I will leave the uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to pass on responding to the self-proclaimed prophets and reformers. OK, um, if they want to take on that title, that's that's them. That's a, <laughs> that, that game's not for me, uh, let alone the title of, you know, Jesus <laughs> uh, making cords and flipping tables. Uh, I'm just going to. Leave that to them and their conscience. But I will respond to the, the concept of platforming niceness. Um, first of all, if that's if that's what I become known for, so be it. I'm happy to platform niceness. <laughs> the get along gang is back. That's right. Maybe <laughs> <Amy>, we are. <laughs> um, but uh, the holistic understanding of, of Christianity would have us balance these two concepts, right? There is there is a informed kindness that I think Christianity calls for. And what I mean by that is a, we are not being kind by acting like um, divisions don't exist or that there aren't differences in theological realities, right? Uh, Kindness is not trying to find the lowest common denominator amongst theology and acting like, you know, we're all kumbaya. Uh, That's, that's not what we're trying to do there. Um, What we're trying to do is be informed in our tradition, be informed on really important doctrinal matters, the things like the Trinity and the divinity of the Son and salvation by grace alone and the sufficiency and authority of the scriptures and all these things. 
Uh, we want to be very informed theologically because I argue over and over in the book, that's where the good life is, is being informed and having a clear vision of God and what he is doing. However, that's supposed to go in tandem with a kind heart. Uh, there is no reason that a mind full of truth does not lead to a heart full of love and hands full of care. Uh, there's just no reason. And in fact, it should. A head, a head full of truth should lead to a heart full of love and hands full of care. And sometimes that, that heart full of love and hands full of care is going to look like saying something like, hey, brother, I know you have good intentions with this theological conclusion you're coming to, but it's just not right. It's not accurate. And in your disavowal of truth, I, I'm worried that you're leaving joy on the field. And we should be willing to say that often and when it's needed. However, when that's your MO, when that's the only thing you're saying, yeah. I don't think you have the Christian vision of balance between grace and love. And so the fruit of the spirit exists. We are called to be kind. And first Corinthians will tell us if we don't have love, we don't have anything. And uh, I think that's true, not just for marriage ceremonies, but also for your theological and contemplative life. If you don't have love, you don't have anything. And so uh, my encouragement to, to folks who might be inclined to think that way is to affirm their willingness to stand for truth and then maybe challenge and commend to them to marry truth to grace, uh, marry truth and kindness and conviction with um, a, a gospel-centered and gospel-vision understanding of love and, and goodness. You you ask the question in the book, does the way you think about theology, the way you do theology, and the way you talk about theology typically lead you to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? My question for you is, why don't more of us think about this generally? Like, why don't some of these folks, and even ourselves, I mean, you know, self-examine, yeah. why don't I more often connect theology to the fruit of the spirit? What's the disconnect going, you know, um, internally for me? Yeah, that's a really good question. Part of me wants to say um, that we've lost the spirituality of theology because these are the fruit of the spirit, right? And so if we want to see if we want to see something spiritual take place in our lives, uh, I think it's going to end up being defined like this. If these are the fruit of the spirit, meaning we're talking about a pneumatological reality, the Holy Spirit being involved, I think theology for so long, or at least for many of us, has been thought of primarily as an intellectual discipline. And in ways, of course it is, right? Theology needs the mind. But theology is meant to contemplate God and all things in relation to God. So even more than it's an intellectual reality, it should be a spiritual reality. And if it's a spiritual reality, it will be defined by the things of the spirit. And I think Paul tells us in Galatians 5, this is what the things of the spirit look like. Uh, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, etc. So I think kind of winning back theology as a spiritual discipline would help um, in, in what you're asking. You dedicate... Um, one chapter per fruit or per aspect of the fruit of the spirit. Um, <laughs> that was that was hard. I kept saying that and yeah. like, no, I can't say that. But yeah. yeah, tell us what you're doing there. For, for like, for instance, um, what's yeah. the chapter on joy? 
yeah. all about. Yeah. So basically, I was thinking of this book a little bit as like a you might have you might have seen or read or heard like theological virtues, like, hey, when you do theology, you should be kind or you should have joy or whatever. I was trying to kind of reverse the program there and say, not only when you do theology, should you have these things, of course, but actually doing theology right can lead to those things. Hmm. So the book is really kind of a reverse theological virtue. So it's how the life of the mind can lead to the fruit of the spirit or the life of the soul. And so, yeah, so for each for each aspect or for each virtue that make up the string of virtues in the fruit of the spirit, um, I devote a chapter. So it's a chapter on love, a chapter on patience, chapter on peace, chapter on joy, kindness, self-control, et cetera. And I basically pick out a couple of doctrines in the Christian life to examine and show how sustained contemplation on that truth can lead to that kind of virtue being formed in your soul. Um, so which one did you ask about again? I'm sorry. I asked about joy in particular, but you can talk about any of. Yeah, they, they were all kind of fun. Um, they were all kind of fun to write. So the joy one, for example, um, I just, I, in that chapter, if I'm not, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, <laughs> I talked about joy needing roots and, uh, the way that theology can kind of help you find a touch more uh, fertile soil as opposed to allowing joy to be dictated by cultural headlines or whatever cultural fight is happening at the current moment or whatever your feelings or emotions are telling you to feel. Um, Theology, again, while not being a sufficient ingredient, is a necessary ingredient in rooting ourselves in joy. And then I talk about on the flip side of that, so theology leading to joy, but also joy being used as a goal. And so instead of theology as being used as like a mere war tactic in some cultural fight, uh, using theology as a well of joy and coming to drink often. So that's, that's an example of a chapter. Um, yeah, every chapter is different. Like in, in the chapter on love, I used a somewhat unknown doctrine today, uh, very, uh, a doctor doctrine popular in Christian tradition, uh, called divine simplicity. Uh, which just states that, you know, in its most basic form that God's not composed of parts like you and I, uh, you know, I, I could lose a finger and still be me. I don't want to lose a finger, but a nine fingered Ronnie is still Ronnie. <laughs> and the reason that's true is because my fingers aren't essential to who I am. Uh, but nothing is like that in God. Everything God is, God is. And so you can't cut God's love off of his justice, et cetera, et cetera. That's why the Bible doesn't describe God as having love. The Bible describes God as being love. God is love. And so I basically say, hey, if if theology is the contemplation of God and all things in relation to God, then doing theology should actually bring you into the presence of the one who is love. And so I think if you're doing theology well, uh, a sustained contemplation on the essence of God, you should have a sustained contemplation on love. And therefore, that should mold you as you contemplate who God is, which we know from Scripture is love. So that's an example using divine simplicity to lead to love, et cetera. This is a good sort of ramp into my next question, because in some respects, I think what you're talking about is doing theology in a way that looks like Jesus. How did Jesus do theology? I guess is my question. What, what would, like if we're looking to Christ as, as our moral exemplar, what does doing theology look like in, in, in the way of Christ? 
Yeah, well, <laughs> I know, maybe that's a whole separate book for you, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that would that would be a great I book. Mean, that, you, I mean, the fruit of the spirit. That's what I. That's right. I think a lot of people they miss that connection. Yeah, as the as the spirit is bearing this fruit in your life, it's it's because you're becoming more Christ-like. That's, that's what right. The fruit yeah. of the spirit is. It's conforming you more to the image of Christ, who is good and kind and patient. That's and exactly joy-like. right. So what is, you know, how did Jesus do theology? Yeah, I mean, if you ask me, hey, give me one verse that this book, like, you're trying to hit home one verse, what is it? For me, it's 2 Corinthians 3.18, that uh, with unveiled face, we are beholding him from one degree of glory to another. That's what I'm trying to do, yeah. is basically just say, look at him until you look like him. Uh, that that's the goal of the book. And you're right. I felt almost repetitive when I was writing each chapter by doing it kind of virtue by virtue that in the fruit of the spirit, it was like love. Well, Jesus is love patient. Well, Jesus is patient with you. Kindness. Well, Jesus is very kind to you. And so <laughs> right. there, there really is like a, an archetype ectype here where Jesus really is. He's the pinnacle of all of these, right? He's the true God, man, the, the one who is perfect in every way, no ill thought, no ill word, no ill deed. And so, of course, he's the most loving, the supremely joyful, uh, the superlative of, of peace and patience. He's all those things. And so doing theology um, with him kind of as the model is is the goal here. Now, what that actually looks like, that's a, that's a long conversation um, because there are times in which Jesus says things that utterly confound people. And there are times when he says things and disciples are thinking, that's it. That's what we've been missing. Like that was the missing link to this whole cognitive process we had going on. And so obviously Jesus is the greatest theologian of all time, being the second person of the Trinity, um, both at the same time, omniscient and growing in wisdom, um, omnisapient as well, uh, all, all wise, all knowing. But doing theology in a way that models him is what I think the second Corinthians three eighteen life is. Yeah. I mean, you never catch him uh, doing theology for the sake of just intellectual recreation or, That's exactly. or engaging in debates with, you know, the religious leaders simply to own them or to, yes, pawn, yes, right. you know, whatever. Um, and not just Jesus. Think about Paul. Yeah. I, I encourage uh, my students. I, I tell them, Hey, you're allowed to do theology for theology's sake, if you can find me one theological clause in the New Testament that was for theology's sake. Yeah. And obviously that's a silly assignment. You can't, right? right. Most of Paul's letters are to churches or to pastors. Um, any, you know, Romans is a brilliant theological book. And it was immediately practical to a church at Rome. And so, yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, even to warn them, I mean, you know, Jesus is aware of That's, them trying to catch him in words and, you know, different things like that. And, yes, you, yeah. know, you, you know, Paul is warning churches about foolish disputations and, you know, vain disputations and, and, and that sort of thing. When Jesus is doing theology, it just seems like it's never about trying to establish his intellectual superiority, even though he is yes. intellectually superior, but so that they might, their heart would be broken Upon the goodness of himself, right, to, com- to commend himself. He is the center of, of it all. Brother, um, who would you say the book is for? Who do you want to pick it up? What do you hope that it will do for them? What's your, um, you know, your vision for how the book would land? Yeah, I mean, I hope it lands. Uh, I, I did try. This is a trade-level book, and I wrote it that way. 
It's not an academic book. I do introduce a few academic terms like divine simplicity and, and other ideas, but it's written for the local church member. It's written for those who might feel either intimidated by theology or a little bit discouraged by the state of theology today. So that, that's those are the two people I had in mind. And so I hope it's the kind of book you could just hand to uh, any member of your church, any fellow brother or sister, and it be written at a level that both um, is readable and accessible, but also challenges them to jump into the wonderfully joyful pool and well that is Christian theology. That's awesome. Well, I hope that they'll pick it up. It's called Fruitful Theology, How the Life of the Mind Leads to the Life of the Soul. It's from B&H Publishers. And it should be out by the time people hear this. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Jared, yeah, thank you for writing the forward as well. I, absolutely. I was glad to do it. Um, I didn't recycle it at all from any other forward that I'd written for anybody <laughs> else. <laughs> that would be really disappointing. <laughs> no, I've actually never done that. But I, I just, I'm always struck with someone because I just wrote a forward for a guy this past week too. And I, you know, you have like essentially two pages yeah. to write an extended in, in endorsement. And I always get stuck on how to start. Like once I get going, I can kind of get going, but I just reread my forward f- for your book. And uh, I think I used the phrase something like if, if this kind of thing is your bag or something like that, you Ronnie, Ronnie's yeah, the yeah. guy to listen to, um, you know, but brother, I, like I, I was glad to do it because you walk this talk, enjoyed the closeness that we had when, when you were you know here and when we would sit across the table from each other or just, you know, go out for coffee and you, you exemplify the fruit of the spirit. And I thought if anybody, if any egghead is going to write a book like this, it needs to be, it needs to be Ronnie. So uh, anybody who's listening, if you're interested in a book like this, I, I'm telling you, this is the guy you want to hear it from because there's some you know folks out there, they're great with theology. And there's some folks out there that seem very kind, but you, you don't necessarily want to hear them do theology. You've got the, uh, you're the Reese's peanut butter cut, man. You've got the peanut butter wow. and the chocolate. Together. <laughs> That's very kind of you, yeah. I think. Yeah. It, it is. It was very kind of me. <laughs> but it was no, great talking no. with you again. Yeah, it's it's so good to see you, man. I appreciate you more than you know. When this other egghead book comes out, the economy of redemption thing, we'll have to have you come on and explain that to us. Okay, that one's okay. actually an egghead book. That so is I'm definitely an egghead to. book. All right. Dear listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite programs. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church. 